Our reading this morning will come from Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Thank you, Ben. Good morning. Hope it's been a great weekend for you. Thankful that you're here to worship today here at Savannah. If you're visiting, we are glad that you're here. You're in a great group. You're with a great group of people. Hope that you'll stay around and and get to know folks and visit a little bit. Great church family here, and so we're glad that you're with us. Uh, One of the things that we've been, we've talked about and mentioned, we have been publishing lesson notes, and they're out in the hallways, and they're on a different colored sheet of paper. Today they're in yellow. Uh, This morning's lesson notes are on the front. This evening's lesson notes are on the back. Some of you may prefer a more interactive experience on lesson notes. And so you can go and download the YouVersion Bible app. That's the icon. That's what it looks like. And once you find that, there will be a menu bar on the left side of your tablet. You scroll down to live and then search for Heritage Christian University Philip Go. That's what my lesson notes are under. And so if you prefer a more interactive experience, you're welcome uh, to find today's lesson notes there on your smartphone or on your tablet. And I'll try to put that slide up one, one more week or two, but that'll be another way that you can interact with the lesson uh, today. Uh, ben read from Philippians chapter 1. Paul writing to the Philippians, and he's, he's making this plea for Christians to love, first and foremost, I, I want you to love one another, but then he says, underpinning that, undergirding that love, what, what I want to see there is, is knowledge, genuine, real knowledge, and, and discernment. It's this plea from Paul to Christians, to you and to me, to be wise, Unfortunately for me, and I don't know how it's going to be for you as we work through this, but unfortunately for me, there's a major obstacle that I'm faced with overcoming in living my Christian life in a wise way. There are these things that get in the way, and one of these that we want to talk about today, and I want to set it up for you this way. At home where I go to church, I've got a friend, his name is Chad, and Chad does maintenance on hot glue machines. And so when the machine goes down, the machine will be very, very hot, and Chad's job is to get in there and fix it. Uh, and so since the machine's often hot when he's working on it, they, they assign and require that heat resistance gloves be worn. Well, sometimes those get in the way because the parts and the pieces are small and sometimes they're covered in glue. And so what Chad does, and this is the thing that the safety managers hate, he's one of those guys that they're always on to, but Chad will take his gloves off and he'll work on the machine anyway. Now you're thinking, well, doesn't that burn his hands? Doesn't that burn his fingers? Well, yes, it does. In fact, through the years, Chad has developed calluses and scars But what those calluses and scars have done is he can get in there and he can do a lot of work on a hot machine before he ever feels the pain. 
His fingers no longer work the way they were designed to. In one sense, you could say his fingers have been desensitized. If we go out and eat several times, one thing you'll find about me is like if we're going to eat Mexican, I, wanna, I want the hottest sauce that they have in the place and I want to put that on my food. I like hot sauce. And if you like hot sauce, one thing you know for a fact is the more of it you eat, the more of it you can eat without feeling the heat. Something happens with our mouths where it doesn't work the way it was designed to. Over time, our mouths get somewhat desensitized and we just don't feel the heat like we once did. Sometimes we don't want our bodies to work the way they were designed to. I bet more than one of us has already been to the medicine cabinet this morning because we woke up with a headache and we took something for that because we didn't want our head to hurt. Going to the dentist uh, as you get older and you've had dental work done and maybe your gums begin to recede, sometimes you find, well, man, I'm, I'm very sensitive to hot and to cold. And so we go to the store and we buy some toothpaste called Sensodyne because we don't want our gums to function the way they were designed to. We don't want those nerves to feel the pain. We want our mouths to be desensitized. Well, I hope you can understand where I'm going with this. I want to get back to that major obstacle. A similar thing has happened with my mind. It hasn't been intentional, but it's happened. My mind doesn't always function the way God would like it to function. In one sense, you could say, my mind has been desensitized. And maybe you can identify with that. Paul wrote about that, Ephesians chapter 4. He's in this discussion with the Christians at Ephesus about... He's, he's setting up a major contrast about life in Christ that you now enjoy as opposed to the life that you were involved in before you were a Christian. And as he talks about the life that you were in before you were a Christian, he talks about things like hard-heartedness and he talks about things like being callous. And the big challenge for us today is to make sure that things like hard-heartedness and being callous, that those things are a part of our past rather than being a part of our present Christian walk. You know, one example that, I would, that, that, that challenges me would be the area of bad language. And, and I don't know if it, if it affects you this way, but, but bad language seems to be all around us. And for me, I've been somewhat desensitized to it. People say things that they ought not to say. They use words that they ought not to use. And it doesn't affect me the way God probably would like it to affect me. <laughs> I was out in a, another state far west of here on a Wednesday night and I was getting ready to do our school presentation and so I arrived early and I, I went back to the sound room and I handed off my flash drive and the guy working in the sound room that night he starts plugging it up and he's having kind of a fight with it because technology sometimes you know presents challenges and, and so he's fighting with it trying to get it to load and he used an expletive and he used it and it kind of sailed past me and then my brain did something where it's like you're in church right now and I, th I thought to myself, did he really say what I thought he just said? We're in church after all. But it's everywhere. Now I don't talk that way but I know it doesn't affect me the way God would like it to. Maybe it's too much corporate life in my past. I'm pretty sure there's been too much TV. Probably been too much music along the way. But like it or not, my mind has been desensitized. 
Let's think about that word for just a moment and, and kind of define it. Uh, one of the definitions for the word is to, to lessen the sensitiveness of... To make unaware, in other words, I'm so callous, I'm so hard-hearted, I no longer know right from wrong, or to make indifferent. I may realize that God says it's still wrong, I just don't care anymore because I've been desensitized. And so those are some working definitions. I think we understand the Word. And I think we notice sometimes that we're not as troubled about things that, that, as we ought to be. There's this nagging feeling of that's just not right and it just doesn't feel right that I'm not as troubled about that as I ought to be. But I'm not sure that we're always as fully aware of the challenges that it presents for us in our Christian walk. And the challenge being this. Being desensitized is a major obstacle to being wise. The, the two stand in opposition to each other. So when I'm desensitized, it's a lot harder to live out Philippians 1, 9-11. It's a lot harder to have discernment. It's a lot harder to, to walk in real knowledge the way God wants me to. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 3. And I want you to think about Solomon, and I want us to think a little bit about his life, and think about his interaction with God. Now, even for the young ones in the room, when we ask about one great attribute for Solomon, we ask that question, and almost everybody can immediately answer, well, he was the wisest man to have ever lived. Now, why do we call him the wisest? man to have ever lived? Well, it's not because he was perfect. It's not because he was sin-free. He was a flawed human being like we all are. But the reason we refer to him as being the wisest man to have ever lived is, is because in the moment of having any choice, he chooses to ask for wisdom. He chooses to ask for discernment. And God in responding to Solomon is going to say, Solomon, because of what you've asked for, there's going to have been nobody before you who's as wise and nobody's going to come after you who will be as wise as you are. And so that's why we refer to him as being the wisest man to have ever lived. So I want to notice 1 Kings chapter 3. I want to begin in verse 3. And we'll walk through this and notice some things about Solomon and this great request. Verse 3 says, Now Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Not a perfect man. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night and said, Ask what you wish me to give you. Now try to imagine for a moment that, that you don't already know the story. Try to imagine for a moment that you don't already know what Solomon is going to ask for and try to place yourself there. If God comes and God places that opportunity in front of you, what might you ask for? Because see, I think about me and I think about my life realize that I might find some really unselfish sounding ways to ask God for some stuff and Solomon doesn't do that. 
Solomon's going to ask for wisdom. And so maybe one, and I mean, and this is unprecedented. This is, this is Aladdin's lamp. This is genie in a bottle. It's not three wishes, it's one. But this is ask whatever you want. Maybe the best way for us to analyze what we might ask for is to look back at our recent history. Look back to where we've been in conversation with God. As I think back to my last week of interacting with God in prayer, have I once asked Him for wisdom? As I think back over the last month, have I once asked God for wisdom? Or has all of my interaction with God been asking Him for for things that I want to maybe consume and to... We know God wants us to be the kind of people who ask. You think about Matthew 7, verse 7. You you think about James chapter 4, verse 2. You do not have because you do not ask. God wants us to ask. So notice what Solomon says in verse 6. Then Solomon said, You have shown great loving kindness to your servant David, my father, according as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you. And you have reserved for him this great loving kindness that you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you've made your servant king in place of my father David, yet I'm but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Solomon's about to ask for wisdom. He's about to ask for discernment. But, but as you think about this text and as you think about what's going on, he's already displaying this attribute. that The scholars tell us that Solomon's about 20 years old when he becomes king. For those of you who are beyond 20, how many of us, you know, how much responsibility did we really have as 20-year-olds? Or we could ask it this way, have you ever known a 20-year-old who really thought he had it all figured out, or she? Sometimes at school... As we're training preachers, we do a lot of career transition. We get a lot of students who they've been maybe involved in secular work and they get involved in ministry. And so they come to us to get them prepared for doing ministry. And so every now and then you'll get a guy who shows up. Maybe he's been preaching some. Maybe he's been involved in ministry some. And he shows up with this mindset that says, you know, I really already know everything. I'm just showing up to take the classes and earn the piece of paper so that I can prove to people by the paper that I already know what I already know. And it's a beautiful thing to sit back and kind of watch that guy finally realize that he's still got a lot to learn. Well, see, Solomon, he's already displaying some wisdom. He's like, I'm young. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, This is a big job that I have in front of me. I'm coming in here behind my father, David. So we continue on. Your servant is in the midst of your people, which you've chosen, a great people who are too many to be numbered and counted. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? Another mark of Solomon's wisdom already, Solomon is the king. He's a king. But I believe he realizes and understands he's not the king. He's been given a stewardship. In other words, he's, he's understanding that while he's got a big job to do and he's placed in authority, he keeps referring to these people, God, these are your people. That's wise. 
And so then he says, so give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge between this great people of yours? And then notice verse 10. Verse 10 says, it was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. If a commentary on my prayer life or yours were to be recorded in Scripture... How many times would the commentary on my prayer life or yours result in the the statement being made that that, that God was pleased by the request that Philip made? Because I'm really afraid that way too many times that the Bible might have to record and God walked away from prayer time with Philip shaking his head at how selfish Philip really is. And maybe you can identify God's response going on in verse 11. God said to him, Because you've asked this thing, and have not asked for yourself long life, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice. Behold, I've done according to your words. Behold, I've given you a wise and discerning heart, so that there has been no one like you before you, nor shall no one like you arise after you. I've also given what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there will be uh, any among the kings like you all your days. I can't help reading about God's response to Solomon's request. In fact, it's actually footnoted in my Bible. I think of James chapter 4 verse 3 where in verse 2 James has said, you know, you do not have because you do not ask. And then in verse 3 he comes back and, and he says, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may consume it upon your pleasures. See, Solomon makes his request with all the right motives. I need this not for me selfishly, but I need this because you've given me a great job to do and I need to be able to do my job the right way. See, Solomon places this premium on wisdom. And God smiled on that. And the question for us today becomes, how are we doing at remembering our need to exhibit wisdom in a very desensitized world, and how are we doing at remembering to exhibit wisdom when, hey, I go to the mirror, and I know I'm desensitized, and I go to church, and I know the people that I'm in church, in community with, who are trying to go help me go to heaven, I know in a lot of ways some of them are desensitized also, so how are we doing at remembering to be wise? And how do I successfully grow in and apply godly wisdom knowing all of this? Well, what if we could pause in the moment of decision, in the moment of having to choose, what if we could pause long enough to ask a very simple question? And this question is not original with me. You've heard other preachers talk about this question. But the question is simply this. What if we could stop and ask, what is the wise thing to do? Isn't that an amazing question? It's a simple question, but think about it. Another way to say it, what is the biblical thing to do? What is the wise way to react? What is the wise thing to say? And then you can flesh it out in more detail. What is the wise thing to do in light of all of my past experience? 
And what is the wise thing to do in light of my present situation? And looking ahead, what is the wise thing to do in light of my future goals and aspirations? In other words, what is the wise choice to make right now in light of the fact that my long-term goal is to be in heaven forever? What if we could start asking that question in the moment of decision? Can you think of a time in your life where having asked that question might have blessed you in some way, might have prevented some trouble even. I sure can. Go back to my days at Lipscomb and uh, it was, I was going home for the weekend. I was taking one of my room, my roommate was going home with me. But I still wanted to see my girlfriend who lived at home. I, need, I wanted to go out with her and so we needed a date for my roommate. And so we set him up on a semi-blind date for that weekend. Well, about the day we were to head home on Friday, he starts getting cold feet. He knows this girl a little bit. He doesn't really want to go out with her. And so we came up with a less than ethical way to get him out of this blind date. We lost. And you know, you and there was no Facebook, there was no social media, but my sister sold us out. And so we thought we were okay and we go to church on Sunday. We head over to Captain D's to eat lunch with my family. And we're sitting there eating and it's a little unnerving when some some girls from across town at another church walk into Captain D's and call you out across the restaurant. We know what you did to her. That's a bad moment. We weren't very wise. Oh, and then there's the, the time when the wise thing to do would have been to to have called the plumber first, you know, before I got into it and made it even more expensive. And then there's what we call at home the chocolate pie story. I hadn't been married very long. And as I told some folks the other night, I married a better cook than my mom by far. And so I got home from work that day, and my wife, she'd made fried chicken. She'd made everything to go with it. This wonderful meal. And and she's describing the meal, and and she said, and I made chocolate pie. Now the wise thing to have done that day would have been to have fallen in love with chocolate pie. The wise thing to have done that day would have been to say, I need a, I I want one piece, and when I'm done with that, I need another piece. I, I would have learned of love to have fallen in love with meringue. That's what I should have done. But I hadn't grown up on cooked chocolate pie, and I hadn't grown up on meringue. Didn't really have much use for meringue at that point. And so I kind of asked her, what is that on top of the pie? And, And a discussion ensued, and I think Mama got mentioned before it was all said and done. And so today, she just doesn't make chocolate pie for me. I wasn't very wise. We all have our life stories, maybe even some sin stories, some failure stories, where we we look back and think, wow, I really didn't make the wise choice. But thinking about this question, it's, it's, it's a great question for another reason. It's not just what is the wise thing. It's not just knowing what I ought to do. The, the question incorporates action. What is the wise thing to actually do? That's why we define wisdom as knowledge properly applied. It's not just knowing, it's knowing plus application. 
Solomon incorporated into his request. This is a big job. I don't know what I'm doing. I need wisdom from you so that I can actually fulfill the duties of the kingship. It's in the text where we began in Philippians chapter 1. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that, you may, so that you may approve the things that are excellent. The new century there says so that you'll choose the good, so that you actually follow through and do the right thing. And this wise thing to do question, it may shed some additional light on a verse in James 4 that's kind of disconcerting to us. It's one of those verses we don't like. James writes, Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and, and, and does not do it to him, it's sin. See, wisdom is knowing plus doing. A couple of other things we need to remember about wisdom. The wise thing to do will never be at odds with God's way. If I'm considering a choice and, and there's a tension between the choice I'm considering and what I know God has said is right, I can know for a fact that the choice I'm considering cannot be the wise choice. And we won't take time to read it now, but one of the things Hebrews chapter 5, along about 11 through 14, points out is this idea that, that wisdom, knowledge, discernment, this making wise choices, it's actually a mark of spiritual Maturity. See, as we do life, it's worth noting that there are very few private decisions. There are very few private missteps. In other words, I may make a choice, but, but there always seems to be a public consequence, a public ramification for the choices that I make. When you think about some of the things maybe you've seen, maybe hopefully not anything you've been involved in, but, but if you see somebody blow up their career, or you see somebody blow up their marriage, or you see somebody blow up their family, or you see somebody blow up their finances, uh, it, it very rarely is going to happen because somebody stopped in the moment of decision and asked the question, what is the wise thing to do, and then just made another choice. Too often we don't stop and we don't ask and we don't think, we just react. Or if we're talking, we're, we're telling ourselves things that are not true. Sometimes disasters are pre preceded by statements like, it'll never happen to me. Or, I'll be the exception to the rule. Or, no one will ever know. Or, I deserve this, whatever this may be. Again from Philippians 1, this is my prayer for you. That your love will grow more and more. That you will have knowledge and understanding with your love. That you will see the difference between good and evil and will choose the good. That you will be pure and without wrong for the coming of Christ. That you will be filled with the good things produced in your life by Christ to bring glory and praise to God. I want to leave you this morning, or leave us, with several challenges. For the next seven days... I want to challenge all of us today to make a conscious choice to ask this wisdom question, to ask what is the wise thing to do and, and then to act accordingly. See, what, what doing that over seven days will do is it will begin to form a habit. And if we can form that habit, it will save us a lot of heartache. Sometimes we know the wise thing or we knew the wise thing at one point 
But we're too desensitized to take time to ask the question and to take appropriate action. One of the reasons this question is so important is that it can help offset my desensitized state. Because the more desensitized I am, the the more likely I am to just react. The more likely I am to do the I don't know and I don't care, I'm going to do what I want to do. Asking the question will help soften up my hardened mind. And pausing and asking the what is the wise thing to do question, it can remind us all over again that God's way is actually best. Challenge number two, for the next seven days, I want to challenge us all to be very intentional in asking the Lord for wisdom and then allowing that to motivate us to seek after it. Now you remember James chapter 1 verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach and it will be given to him. But remember this also, those early readers of James all this in hand. We've got the wisdom manual, and yes, we need to ask for wisdom, but but we need to allow that request to motivate us to dive into the Word of God and seek the wisdom that He's provided for us in our Bibles. Challenge number three. In regard to what the Word of God can do to transform our lives, and you remember Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. In regard to what God's Word can do to transform us, sometime over the next seven days, I want to challenge us all to sit down and to give some very intentional thought to what can we do to begin to retrain our senses so that we'll be appropriately sensitive rather than desensitized. Maybe it's more Bible. Maybe it's less of what dulls the senses. Maybe it's better associations around me. Maybe it's having some folks around me that will help hold me accountable to the goals that I'm setting. God wants us to exercise discernment. God wants us to be wise. And I think we all understand our decisions, they'll have an impact on us, they'll have an impact on those around us, but as we leave, I also want us to remember that the decisions we make, they may have far-reaching consequences beyond anything we even imagine. One of our Christian universities has a new $100 million donor. It's not Heritage Christian, unfortunately. But the reason this Christian university has a new $100 million donor is because the university that he had an association with, the university that he'd been to, that they'd had his heart, members of the band went out and did something unwise. And maybe it was one of those build-ups where their actions were the straw that broke the camel's back, but, but this guy saw what they did, and he said, that's it, I can't do this anymore. So he calls up this buddy of mine, and he says, can I bring you my $100 million? And my buddy says, yes, you can bring that to our university. Now those band members, when they were having fun, and when they weren't thinking through things, I don't think they had any way of knowing, thinking, even comprehending that what they were about to do might cost their university $100 million. But it illustrates the point, my unwise actions may have ramifications that reach far beyond anything I can think or imagine.
Bradley gets ready to lead us in the song of invitation, Lord, take control. The, the song that's been selected for today, my question to you is simply this. Do you need to take a wise action today? As a Christian, is there something amiss in your life? Is there, a, is, is there something where, hey, I need to get my life back on track. I need my church family praying for me. Maybe you're here today outside of Christ. Maybe you need to be baptized into Christ for the mission of your sins. Maybe you need to begin your Christian walk today. That would be the wise thing to do. If you need to take action today, let that be known while we stand and while we sing. <laughs>